listening to the Powder 8 Podcast. I learned to tour on kids' trekkers, also known by some as day wreckers, then transitioned to dukes, but my world really opened up the first time I toured on Dean Bindings. It literally changed the trajectory of my life by allowing me to realize what was possible on skis and the freedom that comes with ditching all that extra weight underfoot. It's hard to believe that the Dinafit low-tech binding has been around for 33 years. That's older than, well, me. So, if you're looking for tech bindings you can trust, go to dinafit.com. And while you're there, check out their Mountopia contest. Even though it just closed for new entries, you can see the Mountopia videos being submitted by the 10 finalists and prepare to enter the next round for a chance to work towards your dream mountain adventure. Funded by Dinafit, of course. Big thanks to Dinafit for sponsoring the first four episodes of this podcast. Welcome to the Powder 8 Podcast, the podcast for backcountry skiers. I'm your host, Katie Miller. I'm really excited about getting this thing going. Um, It's going to be really fun. I'm starting it because I suppose you could say I'm curious. I want to pick the minds of backcountry skiers about gear, about routes, about avalanche education. There's a lot to be learned and a lot to share and some really interesting people to have conversations with. So I hope this becomes um, sort of a wealth of knowledge where folks come to listen to and learn from other backcountry skiers all over the world. I'm going to try to find interesting people to interview from professional athletes to avalanche forecasters, guides, and photographers, really just anyone who spends a lot of time backcountry skiing. So I'm psyched to be kicking off the podcast with Noah Howell. Noah is a well-known professional backcountry skier who has seen and participated in a lot of the evolution of backcountry skiing, from filmmaking to gear design, and he's been backcountry skiing for over 15 years. He founded Powderhorn Productions with his brother Jonah and has done expeditions and first descents all over the world. He's also just a great guy. He's super down to earth and fun to spend time with. Um, I'm really honored and excited that he was willing to join me for episode one. Thanks a bunch for, for making the time and sitting down. I'm super excited to kick off the podcast chatting with you. Um, for our listeners, we've got Noah Howell on the line. Um, and one of the reasons I was really excited to kick the whole thing off with you, Noah, is just you've been in the industry for quite a long time and seen a lot of change, traveled a lot of places and spent a lot of time in the backcountry. Um, so I was really excited just to sort of start with you. And I was hoping you could fill us in first, just kind of like how you ended up getting into all this and becoming a backcountry skier? How did it begin? And, and what did that kind of progression look like? Okay. I, um, I got a late start. I wasn't a, a skier kid. I did, I skied a few times in junior high and thought it was fine, but all we did was go to Deer Valley and ski groom runs. And that was fun just bombing those, but I, I didn't discover powder until 
after high school and I got a job at the ski area and skied my first powder day and that just changed everything. So it, it really, the search for powder is what drew me into the backcountry because as the resorts got skied out, you know, quickly, I was just like, ah, what do I do? Cause I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't love the hard pack experience. So, um, I started touring and had some, uh, older ski partners there that took me out, took me under their wing and showed me around. And back then it was leather telly boots and <laughs> 210 skis and, um, simple three pin bindings. So, uh, that's what, that's what got me into the backcountry. It's the search for powder. And what kind of era, what, what time frame was that? Roughly? Uh, this, was, this was late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. Okay. And you, yeah. you were, grew up in Salt Lake city. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Grew up here, but yeah. never really gotten into the mountains much. Um, which is amazing, but there's a lot of people like that. There's a million or so people along the front here and very few of them go into the hills. So I had no idea what was out there. And once I started discovering like all these nooks and crannies and all these fun link ups and just all this crazy cool stuff that was in the backyard, I, I was just totally hooked. Right. And back then it was all telly that was, you know, pre AT bindings, which I find really fascinating and really cool. That history. Of <laughs> it, it was funny. Yeah, they were out there, but it, but I don't even think anybody was really distributing them here. You know, people were on the Silverettas, but that was more like to access ice climbs. And but yeah, it was really everybody was on telly, and we were just skiing mellow powder balls. And that's what it was all about. Was you know just getting into the big open areas and and double pole plants and surviving and falling and learning how to get back up. And, you know, it was a very different game than it is now. Right. The double pole plant. That's awesome. <laughs> that's key, man. That's getting, that's getting through the, the variable and mixed conditions. <laughs> um, and then I know a lot of people sort of know you for your career with powder whores. And from what I know that, that whole process was kind of an accident. You know, you and, and your brother, right, were just psyched on skiing and psyched on, you know, taking photos and shooting video, and it kind of accidentally turned into a 10-year career? That's pretty much it. It was a strange evolution, and I just, I was so surprised at what I found in the mountains. I couldn't believe people didn't get up there and and do this. I just couldn't, and I still can't imagine why if you're going to be here in the winter you wouldn't want to come play in the mountains so we had a camera that my dad bought for a family cruise or something and we started carrying that around and just filming each other uh just to share it with family and friends and then it, it grew from there and we um we met andy jacobson and andy rosenberg and the four of us really teamed up and got serious and would just rotate uh skiing and filming so we ski a line come down and swap out with, and film the next guy and it was it was a great team effort and we um went from there it just grew and grew and slowly and we, we kept it organic and we never we never went into debt you know we weren't gonna like throw money at this it was like if this funds itself we'll keep progressing and and but we wanted to keep it about the scheme and we didn't want it to be a big production carrying around huge cameras and generators and and all that stuff that just because you're, it's not real, it's not reality video, but it's, we wanted to make it as close to and not as contrived. We wanted to go skiing, really. We didn't want to 
make one turn that looked magical and wonderful, you know, we wanted to go ski and, and capture that. So that's what we, that's what we did. And you guys, it seems like you had a lot of fun with it and didn't take it too seriously. And I think a lot of people really connected with that. Um, yeah. And uh, it was it was kind of one of the more raw, gritty, just real ski movies that you could go see in the fall. And I think people really liked that. And I know you guys started out mostly tele-skiing when that began. Is that right? And then that sort of transitioned when when AT started getting big and bindings started getting light and boots started getting better. And, um, that process was sort of seen a little bit through those films. Is that correct? Yeah. It started out all on telly and we, we were hungry. We wanted to like show that what we could do on telemark gear. And, um, it was never, uh, I feel like telly is like a religion to a lot of people and they're just, obsessed and crazy and there is only telly and it's got all the soul we were never like that we just we wanted to push what could be done on telly which we knew there were limits um but we we tried hard at that and i think we put out some great all telemark films but then as we got older um and the at and and the split board scene came in too it's like we wanted to get out with other people. We had friends that were doing cool stuff on AT and splitboard gear and we wanted to get out with them and we didn't want to be limited anymore to film just that. Plus the industry was changing and Telmark was declining. So it was, it was just, it was a lot of things. It was part of a business move and it was part of just an evolution. And it was almost too like showing teleskiers that there's a lot of different ways to play on snow and that doesn't really matter the tool it's just that you're out there and and then we started at skiing and enjoying it so then it was just like anything goes game on right cool yeah and so you know through that process and through your time in the wasatch you've kind of watched that explode you've watched backcountry skiing explode i'm sure the industry is just growing so much right now and i'm sure the wasatch has changed a lot in your in your oh my god, this is crazy. I mean, we just got off uh, an incredible storm cycle and then high, uh, stability, and I mean, everything is getting skied. It's you used to be able to kind of stay ahead of the crowd, and so you'd you know ski kind of the mellow powder and then work your way up to the bigger stuff. Now it's just like in two days, it is hard to go find. Uh, not not impossible, but anything that has a name and is in a guidebook or is visible is like ski. It is crazy. Right. And it used to be you could ski stuff and never see a track as long as you stayed ahead of the crowd. And I mean, it is, and people used to not ski the steep stuff until it was like hard pack and shitty and you really probably didn't even want to be on it, but you knew it was stable. Now stuff is just getting slashed it's basically our fault probably for how well we did at promoting backcountry and how fun it is but uh <laughs> it's a double-edged yeah. sword right because it's good to have people getting out appreciating the mountains um becoming you know stewards of the environment but also as somebody who's used to have it all to themselves it's it's hard to to watch i i feel that here in montana too i bet yeah it is it's great. There is a community now that's 
large and has a presence and that used to not be the case or it was just very small you know you, you used to know like everybody that was out in the hills um and yeah it's it's exploded yeah um i wanted to ask you about the the shooting gallery and so for people who don't know what that is that's one of the that's the guidebook for the wasatch that andrew mclean wrote um and I believe you accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, but you started realizing that you were about to be the first person to ski all the lines in that guidebook. Um, and maybe you could sort of tell that story and like what happened and how that sort of came to be. Okay. Yeah. That, that kind of dovetails in with the, the powder skiing we used to do on tele ski. So as equipment changed, you know, we were carrying heavier like Alpine boards into the backcountry and bigger, beefier tele boots. And then the uh, shooting gallery came out and that was like focusing on the opposite end of powder bowls. This was like every steep, crazy nook and cranny and little sliver of of snow in some dark corner of the Wasatch. And that really lit up. I was just, I was hooked. I was just like, this is so cool. And so I started taking some from filming and then others just on my own. And then suddenly I realized I was halfway through and I was like, huh, I wonder what it would be like to just finish this book. So uh, I went about that and it got harder and harder because as you only have a few left, um, it just became tricky to get them in right conditions. And I wanted to ski them all in, in fairly good conditions, not just push them to like tick them and get them done. Um, but some of them are so contrived and silly that you have to like the great white icicle is an ice climb. Um, so you have to repel a lot of that and it very, it changes season to season, but it was a really fun project and it just took me to new places in the Wasatch, um, and expanded my knowledge of the range and yeah, got to get into some fun, spicy stuff. So I, I finally finished in 2011, uh, believe. And you, you even skied a couple lines that Andrew had put in there, but he had not skied. Is that? No, I think, um, no, Andrew had skied them all before I did, but I think it was like the year before I did. Okay. I think he, from what I heard, is that he heard that I was trying and he he only had one left, so he went and skied the uh, ribbon at, uh, at Alta right. and, and finished before I did. Fun. But I'm not sure that's 100% true. But. Yeah, and there's a, a couple people kind of trying to do that right now or there was a guy that was maybe going to try to do them all in a season or something. I think Caroline Gleick is maybe trying to finish all of them this year or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's other folks chasing and, and doing it in a season would be really cool and you could do it um, in the right season. It's, we just haven't had great winters down low. Mm-hmm. Um, the snowpack down low hasn't been great. So some of the longer lines and lower elevation lines have not been filling in great. So it's definitely harder than it used to be to, to take them all. Right. But, yeah. But I've, I've kind of started looking for new stuff now and, and found some really fun new lines and kind of trying to add to the uh, future of the shooting gallery. Cool. Shooting gallery yeah. volume two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to come back to one thing you said a minute ago, which was that you're, more or you were interested in trying to ski most of the lines in good conditions 
And I find that to be something that's kind of fascinating as backcountry skiing is growing. Like, there's, I think, sort of this old school style and ethic of skiing lines in good conditions, and then sometimes a newer school style um, of just skiing things to say you've skied them. And I just, I sort of find that, um, that sort of thought process and style interesting. And style is one of the things I'm really interested in just sort of exploring through this podcast, um, and, and talking about, um, so I just kind of wanted to highlight what you said there. Cause I thought it was, yeah, something that I think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, for me, it's not as much an ethic, um, as I like good snow. Right. I like powder. I, I'm still a powder whore. So to me, it's, I prefer it in good snow, but you always can't get that. And sometimes you don't know and you get there. And so it's like, I'm not going to turn around because I'm there and it sucks. I'm going to hack my way down. it. Um, I have no problem with that. I mean, the preference would be in good snow, but I don't have the, uh, that's a firm ethic of like, well, I'm only going to do it if it's in good Good style. I'm okay with poor style. I'm a telly skier. We, we fall down the mountain. I'm used to falling down the mountain and, and telly tumbling. So I'm just, yeah, it's just fun to get out and, and get down. And sometimes that's just hacking your way down in, in poor snow. And you just, that's just how it is sometimes. So Right. And how you learn too, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but ideally you're ripping stuff in deep out. But that's, that's really hard too when you get in the game of real steep skiing. Um, you know, you often want a firmer, uh, very stable bed surface. So, you know, sometimes that means it's going to be crummy and you're just going to be side slipping more or, um, yeah, kind of not as pretty, but making your way down. Yeah, totally. That's where, or at least for me, like a little bit of a resort background comes in, uh, handy at times, knowing how to ski, kind of hard pack and crud and sort of any type of condition, but conditions in the backcountry also have their whole own set of characteristics when you get into breakable crust and sun crusts and things that you don't get in ski areas. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, another thing that I really enjoy about kind of following you and, and watching your um, – your career as a skier is how you embrace like different styles and varieties and like types of backcountry skiing. Cause I know you'll go out kind of on like bigger skis and a little bit heavier gear and kind of for more like powder charging, that sort of thing. But you've also really embraced kind of the new school, um, schemo and like you're willing to put on a speed suit and like rando race gear and kind of test your endurance. Um, and one of your, uh, blog, post titles I noticed on your website is like running uphill in tights. <laughs> and I just wanted to talk about that. Cause I find it really interesting. Like some people are like, no, I'm, I'm a hardcore, you know, I like right. bigger, beefier gear and other people are like full schemo. And there's not necessarily a lot of people that are spanning those spectrums. Um, so I guess I just was curious, like kind of your thought process on like, okay, I'm going to get a speed suit and some rando gear. Like why? And, and, and what was the purpose of that or reason or, you know? Right. Well, uh, really it's the mountains and it's conditions. And I want to, when I ski powder, I just bought some gigawatts, which are 135 under foot and 11 pounds. Um, 
And I've been having so much fun skiing deep powder on those because that's, to me, the, the best tool for that. Mm-hmm. But if it, hasn't, if it hasn't snowed in two weeks and you're not going to lug that around, that's just stupid. And so I think it's, I just think it's ignorant to have like one way of, of enjoying the mountains when that, when it doesn't line up with what the conditions are. So as I got, as there became, this equipment became available, I was like, Oh, these are just all different, incredible tools to enjoy the mountains in different conditions. So if it hasn't snowed in two weeks and I just want to go link up a bunch of peaks, the lightweight schema gear is amazing. And, and and for me, I, I, I don't just love the powder skiing. I I love the adventure of, of link ups and covering a lot of terrain and, the physical cardio aspect of that. Um, and then, you know, there's great gear for steep skiing now and just everything in between. I, I really think it's the golden age of backcountry skiing where whatever your fancy is, whatever you want to do, you've got the right tools to do it. So for me, I just, as conditions change, I'll change out my tools to, to, to keep playing in the mountains um, and working on projects. So that's awesome. Um, what's your What's your current kits? You said you got like the the megawatts for for Deep Pal. Run me through like the spectrum. Um, yeah, so the gigawatts one thirty five underfoot, and then I've got I still have some race skis that are sixty underfoot, and and the race skis really um, are. I'm kind of worn those off, except for maybe some traverses. Last year I did the Ski Hard Rock one hundred in those and i just struggled i'm six two and 200 pounds and it's just a lot of lever uh for that little bit of surface area so i've kind of sworn off the skinny skinny for adventure skiing i I just want a little something more underfoot like 80 so 80 is kind of my low end now 80 Mm -hmm. underfoot um but then i've got everything in between in like 10 10 millimeter increments um so these like adventure skis 80 underfoot mountaineering's 90 to 95 and like a good all-arounder is like 105 and then really my go-to though is the is the black i'm helio 116 right now mm-hmm. I, I do like a fatter ski even in in just overall and those are so light that you can almost haul them around all day so right totally yeah i've been yeah. going a little skinnier but i'm like 100 pounds lighter than you so <laughs> <laughs> right right no it makes a difference it's not it's not it took me a while to understand that when I was doing some of the schema races and in variable conditions, I'm just like breaking through and eating shit. And I'm like, what is going on? And people are just blown by me that are like 130 pounds. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of an unfair disadvantage being, being the the, uh, Clydesdale. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It seems like uh, (laughs) kind of for adventure skiing, like that 80 to 90, underfoot with a light boot is pretty ideal because if you're actually trail breaking like you want a little more surface area um yeah or variable conditions i really don't like variable snow in a skinny ski where you just punch through you know i really want to stay on top and and rocker has been huge for that to uh you know prevent prevent that so right let's um let's talk about the skiing the hard rock 100 that was on my list to to chat with you about um i don't I assume not all our listeners kind of even know what that is. So um, could you sort of fill us in on what that project was and kind of give us the quick rundown? Yeah. The, the hard rock 100 is a famous 
uh, race in the summertime, and it's 100 miles long, 33,000 feet, and it uh, drops through several towns, Uray, Telluride, and it starts and ends in Silverton, Colorado. So it's in the San Juan Mountains there. And I'm I'm usually the one putting projects together, and I kind of like doing my own thing, but I got invited by Jason Schlarb to come and film his project where he wanted to ski that route. Um, and so I didn't really think it would happen at all. I was like, the likelihood of this, you know, getting stable conditions in midwinter in the San Juan is, is tricky. Um, logistically, there was just a lot that had to go on. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that. But I really didn't think it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, they got great stability, great weather, and he was like, let's do this. So it was it was kind of a, a shock there. And I was like, oh, shit, I should have been training more for this because – the guys I was going with are all world-class endurance athletes and I dabble with some schemo and, and try and maintain fitness, but it's definitely not the level that they were. So anyway, that was, that was the hardest thing I've ever done on skis. Uh, just took us four days and averaged 11,000 feet a day and, um, like 27 or eight miles almost each day. Our short day was 17 miles. But just the, the altitude and trail breaking, route finding, it was it was really hard. And then trying to, to film and capture that made it made it extra difficult. But uh, but they waited for me and I pushed through and uh, it was really cool to to cover that much ground and see that much of the San Juans, which I'd never been to before. So that was that was amazing. Yeah, that's an amazing mountain range. That's full on backcountry. Root. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were deep. Like they tried to um, scout some of the, the course, but so much of it is they'd spend half their day just getting to the route, and then they'd have to bail. I mean, it was really remote um, stuff. But but they did most of the route finding because honestly, I was just I was just behind trying to keep up. Right on. Yeah the uh, the blog series on Wild Snow on that's awesome. And for any listeners that haven't <laughs> seen the film either, there's like a 18 minute is that right film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put together an 18 minute film that's free online, uh, Ski the Hard Rock 100. And um, I think it's fun, even if you're not into schemo, just the adventure aspect of it, like putting together an absurd route that, or plan that you really don't know if you're going to be able to pull off. I love that. That's that to me is what the adventure is about is like, let's push ourselves and, and lay it out there and see if we can then pull together. Uh, I love that. That's, big part of what adventure skiing is for me. Right. Yeah, totally. And and speaking of adventures, I mean, one thing I think is cool about sort of looking at your ski resume and just knowing you a little bit personally is like, you've had a lot of great successes, but it's also come with a lot of challenges and like trips that maybe were failures. Like, um, you know, I'm looking at uh, planning a Peru trip and I know you went down there and it like rained on you the whole time. You didn't even get to ski, and that's, like, part of the adventure. Um, but uh, last year, I know you also went to Alaska and um, skied, climbed and skied on the moose's tooth. Could you, like, yeah. tell us a little bit about that adventure as well and kind of that vision? I mean, so I um, I have a particular interest in this because when I was 18 – I was dating this guy that went up and climbed the ham and eggs. And I remember while he was gone, 
uh, he was like sending me all these letters about the moose's tooth and the ham and eggs. And then I would like go online Uh and like look at the photos and sort of daydream about Alaska. And then I finally went up there and did a Denali trip and um, got to see the Alaska range a little bit and, and get on the Cahiltna, which is just, you know, mind blowing, like how big the mountains Uh are there and the terrain. And it's just like, Oh my God, it's a whole nother world. Um, so when I heard you guys went to the Moose's Tooth, I was particularly interested in that in that trip and that expedition. And um, yeah, I think other people might be interested in it too. Yeah, skiing is such a pain in the ass in one hand, or expedition skiing because it, it, it's so condition dependent. And right. you can yeah, you can put all your money together and time, and you really can get skunked. It's not hard. I mean, that's like if you go to Alaska and ski half your days there, to me, that's like huge success. Um, but yeah, I've definitely had some shutouts and but you just have to keep swinging. You really just have to keep, keep going. And then there are a lot of ways to hedge your bets and to give yourself better odds. So give yourself enough time and keep, keep the target large. If, if you have one objective and you fly into the Alaska range and, oh, it's been windy and it's just ice, then what are you going to do? So I, I think it's, I think we're too to target or focused sometimes. I like having a lot of objectives. So last year when we went to Alaska, we had like five main objectives. And it's like, let's keep this open and, and then you narrow it down and see what's in condition and prioritize. So Moose's Tooth was a nice, quick, easy uh, possibility because it's low elevation, so you don't need to acclimate. Um, the weather there is usually a little easier to read and to get get uh, get read on. So when we had a couple, and you only need a couple of days, so we went in and um, skied the Japanese couloir, which is actually really cool and steeper and a little bit maybe well not as exposed or gnarly, but there was a very steep short section there. So that was a good warm up uh, for the Moose's Tooth, but. Uh, I'd been there previously uh, several years before and everything had been so, uh, it it was 20 below, just freezing cold. Like a lot of the climbers were leaving. The snow was crap in the chutes. So we really didn't ski anything. We just walked around, but it was that trip that I saw the line on the moose's tooth and it just scared the shit out of me. I was like, no way. That looks so horrifying. But there's that little part of you that just like smiles and like, lights up and it's like we could ski that you know <laughs> and um i just love listening to that little demon in there that little voice that's just like come on like let's let's try that let's check this out so um yeah added it to the list and then um ben and i went ben peters and i went there last year and, and skied it in beautiful snow like amazing conditions we couldn't believe it really couldn't have been better great stability and good soft snow it was like easy it's it's so funny that that's the thing with skiing too. It, it, on the steep stuff, if if conditions are in, it's not like it's just fun. Um, just you know, unweighting on fifty degree slopes is just like flying. So that was a that was a really we were really lucky on that. And uh, and yeah, and then we ended up attempting Foraker, and we just sat in the tent for the next like ten days. Um, <laughs> we did ski. Yeah, we skied Mount Crossing in incredible snow, and we got up on Denali at fourteen camp and. Um, 
tried to acclimate that way, but we got really shut down on uh, on fork. But that's that's how it goes, and and I was super happy to get to get that major objective. Well, I'm actually working on a video too of that trip, so uh, keep an eye out for that. I'll post that on my blog if I get around to to editing that together, which I I hope to do soon. I was gonna ask what kind of climbing skills, like non-ski skills, the moose's tooth took. Did you do some like mixed? It looked like there was maybe a, like a rock traverse in your route. Um, but... in certain yeah, in certain times there's a traverse that some people do place protection, but it was just a beautiful snow ramp when we were there. So there was um, no technical climbing. Uh, it was just good snow snow climbing with, uh, you know, we had crampons and, and double technical tools and it was just straightforward. No, but we found some old pro and they're actually yanked out this classic old piton, just this big monster. It's all rusty and the fun relic. Cool. Yeah. In the conditions we had it, we didn't need to to place any protection. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And kind of circling back to your videos, I think that's, that's one of my, kind of favorite things about what you're up to is not only are you just skiing and psyched on skiing, but you're also creating, um, content, you know, videos and, and photos and, and sharing stories. And you've got a, um, quite active blog that you update often. And, and I just, I find that really cool. And, um, it's everything from real polished stuff to stuff that's kind of just raw gritty, like in the moment, which, I really like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I find that really interesting to, to take a little bit out of the, the gloss away and, and be like, what was this experience really like? Um, so. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I try for that because I feel like so much stuff gets over polished that it does, it's not, it doesn't feel real. Like it's like you go out in the mountains, it's like, that's not what I experienced. Like, I understand you made every moment look primo and or you wrote it elegantly but that's just not that's not the reality to me right you know it's like we're out there joking around and swearing and having fun or horrified like i just think it's trying to be i try to be honest and then just um give a little bit of myself and give a little something extra and not not be afraid of that but i also enjoy it i really like the sharing part um it's part of the creativity. It gives me a little, you know, I've skied a lot and it definitely doesn't get boring, but this adds another element to me that I, I do enjoy, like trying to capture cool moments and trying to share that. And I, I really enjoy that part. Kind of, you kind of have to now um, to get the, the sponsorship and the support, you know, that's a big part of it is like the self uh, promoter, which I don't love, I want to be known as a skier, but you really kind of have to provide your own content. Now you have to be a writer. You have to be a photo editor and photographer. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to try and fill those roles, even if not at a high caliber, but just in a, in a fun and playful way. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a huge part of it these days. It's really interesting to to watch how social media has changed professional skiing and professional i think adventure sports in general it's i find it fascinating yeah it's kind of fun that you get a lot more control over 
the content too, though. It's like you can tell you can tell your story in a lot of different mediums now. So, sort of switching gears a little bit. I um I haven't been backcountry skiing as long as you, but I know that um I am con- constantly learning, and especially um as you know, I've kind of added a few years on to my backcountry career. I feel like every year I learned something new. And so I was sort of curious if there was anything specific that you feel like recently um, you've really learned or something that's kind of a a light that's been shed for you. Um, I feel really comfortable with where I'm at which is really nice. I didn't used to feel that way. There was definitely an obsessed, compulsive, like, I've got to ski this, I've got to tick this, you know, like, attitude, which I think is very dangerous in a way. It'll, it'll help you get a lot done, and it'll, it's, you, need a, you need to be motivated. Um, but it's nice not having that. It makes it easier now to turn around, and it makes uh, just, just having done a lot, I feel more content and, and a little bit satisfied um, that, okay, today's not the day, and we'll do that again later, whereas that used to really irk me and kind of um, dig dig a little bit you know, more when you weren't, like, crushing every day. So that's kind of nice um, just to be a little more chill and um, still, still motivated, still have a lot of tons of fun projects and things I want to do, but just have a different uh, energy about it and, and be okay with, with, uh, waiting, waiting until the right time and getting it when it's ready. Yeah. So right. that's, that's been new in the last couple of years. That's cool. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate hearing that. That's really cool. I, I stole one quote off your, your website, you were, um, talking about your, I believe it was your first trip to Chamonix and, um, how you met Hansari there. And then, um, on your website, you wrote, I saw firsthand the real consequences of fucking up and that even the best aren't invincible. In fact, restraint or, and I like this part a lot, lining up your desires with the right conditions is probably the hardest thing about steep skiing. And um, I just really appreciated that quote. I thought that is something that a lot of people could could uh, resonate with and learn from and a good reminder for kind of the up-and-coming and the, the young guns in the sport. Yeah, I think when you get um, specific about what your objectives are, that gets really dangerous. Um, so I think that that's great, but I think you want to give yourself, again, as big a target as you can. So give yourself lines you want to ski there on every aspect. And so then you can line those up with the right conditions. If, if just the things you want to ski are, are limited and small, then it's, it just limits your days that those are going to be in. There's a time and a place to ski everything, but you got to line up conditions with that. Not your, not your desire. Like today I want to go for it. That Like forget that. It's, you know, what is going to be skiable today and what's going to be good. Right. Uh, any, any projects you can share in the works or anything new and exciting? I, I did see that you're now uh, 
guiding in the Wasatch, which I thought was yeah. really cool. That's been fun. It's uh, I, did, I wasn't sure I would like it because I'm very selfish with my time and, and my skiing. Um, but it's been really cool to get out with people um, of all levels and we either can crush or it's fun to see the mountains through someone else's eyes that are just it's such a different way than than I've been seeing it. And it's nice to slow down even and just and go for a walk in the woods and show someone around that's that's new to, to this world. So it's been really fun. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I always like seeing um, just how much people appreciate it and how they're so blown away by it. Like, when you're out every day, <laughs> it, can, it becomes normal, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, that oh, view yeah. that's like you know, million dollar view. <laughs> That's just normal. Yeah. <laughs> but when you take well, you forget, people out, you forget, that... <laughs> you forget how hard it is. Yeah. And all the little stupid things that, that we know and minor things that we do to make it so much easier. But you have to know all those things and you have to incorporate those. Otherwise, it's just really a hard sport. Like, it's really challenging. Um and you, you forget that when you're just kind of doing it all the time and acclimated and, and, and ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we've got, got some fun projects. You're going to hopefully ski a new line on Mount Olympus this afternoon. Um, right. And we'll see how that goes. And there's the Wasatch is in such great shape that there's a lot of stuff going in. So plan and stick around here and hopefully I, I'm just really enjoying new lines. And so I'm kind of on that, in that focus right now. And then um, like to come up and visit you guys in Cook City, hopefully, and try to make a trip to the Tetons and then go into Alaska again in the spring for a month or two for, for more of the big, big game hunting. <laughs> big game hunting. I like that. Nice. Yes. Big game hunting. Yes. The waiting game. The waiting game. Cool. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to uh, some adventure skiing around here and we're hoping to get to the Tetons too. So maybe we'll have to link up on that. Cool. But, um, yeah, cool. Any other parting thoughts, any wisdom you want to, uh, pass along <laughs> for the, for the finish of the podcast here? Oh man. I don't think I have much in the way of wisdom, but, uh, <laughs> just, I, I just listen to me. The mountains are about awareness and listening and it's not just what's going on outside, you know, in the snow and with the sun and the wind, it's also what's going on inside you and what, what are your desires and motivations? Those are, those are just everything that just, and don't be, don't be blinded, be aware and have fun. Nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. So thanks cool. a bunch for making time, Noah. Super that psyched. Was fun. My, my, one of my favorite things to talk about. So hope that was, that went well. Yeah, it was great. So thank you. Cool. Thanks a bunch for tuning in. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share it with your friends. I'm getting this thing going grassroots style, so if you would like to donate to help make the future of the Powder 8 podcast possible, you can do so at powder8podcast.com. That's powder8 with the number 8. I'm going to try to do two episodes per month, at least through the winter, and um, we'll see how it goes from there. 
So thanks again for listening and stay safe out there.